j'étais là. Hein. Je veux dire, avant, euh, j'étais normal. I watched this movie in my senior year of high school. I was taking a comparative religions and philosophy elective class. And we were watching some really interesting, deep philosophical movies. And one of them was this short French film called Schizine by this guy named Jeremy Clapin. And it starts with this guy in a therapist's office. And you see that stereotypical therapist couch. And the guy is not on the couch. He's, like, away from the couch. He's laying in midair. And soon you find out that he got hit by a meteor and he moved 91 centimeters away from himself. So to adjust to this new existence, he starts using, like, white chalk. And you see all over that he's drawn arrows showing 91 centimeters from where he is, where the thing is supposed to be. So, for example, he's drawn a telephone 91 centimeters from the actual telephone so that he can pick up calls or make calls at home. And all the while, he's desperately trying to get back to normal, to get back to himself, where he used to be. So he becomes obsessed with meteors and asteroids, and he tries to figure out when the next meteor shower is going to be so that he can get hit again and go back to where he was. And he manages to do it. He gets hit by a meteor again. And the crazy thing is, this time he moves 37 centimeters below where he used to be. So now he's 91 centimeters to the side and 37 centimeters below. You see him again try to draw and try to configure his life around it, but it seems like there's no way he can. Eventually, he moves to this place of acceptance and just realizes that that's where he is. Je suis là. Par ici. And you know, I've wondered since I've watched that film, if all it takes to go back to yourself is to meet yourself where you are instead. It took me five years after watching that film to accept that in my own life. This is Tell Them I Am. I'm Misha Youssef. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. So my boss, Arwen Nix, yes, she is named after Lord of the Rings. She had this idea when we started producing this podcast that we hire an illustrator to illustrate each one of our guests. And the person we found was 22-year-old Emin Ahmed. Let me tell you this. I was already impressed by her art. A lot of people are. It's bold, colorful. She incorporates Pakistani and South Asian imagery along with Western pop culture motifs. She made an illustration of Kamel Nanjiani that he loved and he started sharing all over the place. But... I was even more impressed by the respect that Emin gives to her work. So just go for it? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. 
My name is Emin Ahmed. I am 22 years old. I'm from Chicago, but I live in Detroit now. Right now, I'm best known for the stuff I put off on Instagram. It took off uh, early last year, and so far, I've been trying to make the most of it. How much of a following do you have? Currently, I'm at 12.3 thousand, which is crazy to think about because I don't know 12,000 people in my whole like in my whole life. So to think of like 12,000 people actually care for what I put out is insane. Little Emin lives in Chicago, and she has everything she needs, except for two important people. My grandparents lived close to us for the majority of my high school years, but before they were living in Chicago and Toronto. So she takes matters into her own hands in full teenage fashion. I would always complain, oh, my, my friends all have their grandparents near them. My grandparents live all the way in Toronto. Then they, they heard that and they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to move. They got a house about a mile down from us. Every weekend, my sister and I would go stay with them. And even though they had like a separate guest bedroom, we would always just like set up our beds on the floor of their own bedroom. And we would all just kind of like sleep together. My grandfather, his name was um, Ashfaq Ali. He kind of just walked into my grandma's side of the family and he became this person that everyone came to for advice, that everyone came to if there was like a dispute and they needed someone to to like mediate. He was like a chief, like a, a tribal chief. He kind of carried everyone on his back. Emmett has loved art since before she even knew how to say the word art. One of her earliest memories is of sitting on the ground, taking out a piece of paper, and pressing a crayon to it. And her grandpa, the family tribal chief, loves this about her because he's an artist too. He's a film photographer and a musician. And back when he and Emmett's grandma lived in Toronto, she would stay with him every summer and go to this art camp. Every day when she would come home from camp, her grandpa would be like, what did they teach you? What did you make? Can I see? Then he would pick his favorite pieces, frame them, and hang them in his dining room. Emmons' grandpa is insanely appreciative of her work, and that makes her curious about his work. He had this photograph of my grandmother. When Emmons about 13 years old, she's playing with her cousins in her grandparents' basement, And she sees her grandpa sifting through a really big box. Her cousins keep playing, but Emin, little Emin, is curious. So she walks over to him, and he's staring at this photo of two women on a couch. But they both look exactly like her grandmother. He convinced me that she had a twin that we never met or knew about. And I believed him for like the longest time. And then then he told me like, no, I, I created it this way. They look through photograph after photograph, and he explains to her how he developed each one. The further they get through the box, the more amazed she is by his talent. Like, that's the first time I saw him being so extremely creative for his time. I was just, I was kind of like in awe, like, wow, he was able to do this without Photoshop. It was just like raw uh, hands and solution, manipulating the chemicals and the paper and all of that. Thinking back to that, I, I constantly want to do use the same technique or the same properties or materials and try them in a different way. But don't forget, Emin's grandpa is not just a photographer, 
He's also a musician. I mainly remember him using the keyboard and he would put it on this really like synth rock setting. It sounded really 80s and then his voice itself was was far beyond that like 20s, 30s type of guzzles and like really sad songs. He had a really somber voice. And he was, it was really, it's really funny to see that juxtaposition of that somber voice and like this synth pop uh, setting on his keyboard. Emin would be hanging out at her grandparents' house and she would hear this voice and these sounds coming from another room. She'd slowly walk down the hall, she'd peek through the doorway, and she'd catch her grandpa practicing. And little Emin would just stand there and listen. And when he noticed her, though, he would always stop playing. He was talented, but he was also very shy. And then they'd talk for a little bit. He was always encouraging me to, you know, like, don't get caught up in being a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Like, at least have that part of you, if you do decide to do something a little more, quote-unquote, professional, to still have that part of you that is always creating and always doing something different and something true to yourself. My high school graduation time was when it got pretty serious. He had been sick for a while. It was all a heart condition. He had congestive heart failure. So he like he got a pacemaker put in. He was tired. He didn't really get out of bed too much. He would stay in bed and watch TV most of the day. It came to a point where his heart, even with the assisted, assisting device, like it wasn't beating properly. So they decided that we should consider having him uh, undergo a surgery that installs an LVAD device. An LVAD is this little machine that they put in you to help your heart pump. It basically forces your body to stay alive. But afterwards, he was in the ICU for about two months. And she's going to see him every single day. She does her homework, she studies her finals all in the waiting room. I know after my graduation, he was conscious. So he like he wasn't able to make it, but I remember going into the room with my cap and gown so he could at least see me in my cap and gown. Um, that was a really good day. The days where it started to get worse, he was he was mostly unconscious. After he's been unconscious for weeks, the doctors give her family a choice keep him alive or let him go. We called everyone and everyone just hopped on a plane and they came to Michigan to the Henry Ford Hospital. When it came time to unhook him from all of the machines, everyone's just in the room praying and giving him that company. You have all these beeping noises, and then you have people that you've never seen cry before in your life crying in front of you. There was a point in time where there was just, like, everything just started to get louder and louder. Like, the beeping and the crying and the praying. All the noises just started to, like, reach a crescendo, and I, I kind of felt like I needed to leave. I walked out the door, and I just, I, like, for a second, I'm like, should I go back? It was like almost as if the the noises were following me. So I was like, no, I have to I have to leave. So I exited the the wing and I went to the waiting room and I just sat there for the rest of the time. 
everyone else started like trickling out after the time of death was announced. She spends the rest of the summer with family, but the true weight of what happened doesn't really hit her right away. The, the difficulty started arriving after I started college. She really misses her family, especially her grandpa. She starts entering this circular pattern of thought. I would think like, oh, I can't wait to go home. Then I remember like, oh, wait, he's, he's not going to be there. Um, so that, that every time that realization happened, that hit me hard. Her friends keep inviting her places to study or hang out. And every time she gets excited, like, yeah, sounds fun. Hang out with friends. Then as soon as it's time to leave her dorm, this feeling of dread sets in. It was hard for me to focus. It was hard for me to make new friends. And even when she's around her old friends, her thoughts just kind of go blank. She can't talk. She doesn't know what to say. It's like she literally can't think. She can't feel. And it's really frustrating. She's stuck in this state of shock. It was a little suffocating because you have the craziness of everything happening around you and you're like, like, what can I do to help myself? Like, what, what, what can I do to take my mind off things or to feel a little peace? It's like hanging out with friends had turned into some kind of punishment. And when that's the case, figuring out what will make you happy can get really hard. Impossible, even. And this feeling doesn't last for just days or weeks. It lasts for years. Her friends start pointing out to her that she wasn't like this in high school. I mean, you don't seem like yourself anymore. They ask her what's wrong, and she just says, nothing. Finally, her junior year, one of her friends tells her, look, enough, you need to talk to someone. I made the decision to seek help. She books an appointment with the school counselor. And as soon as she sits down, Everything from the last two years just starts pouring out. It, it was so difficult for me to actually talk between my crying. Um, but I eventually got everything out there and I felt a lot better because that's the first time I was able to sit down and just like purge everything. And he gives her super practical advice. She hasn't been creating anything this whole time. So he makes her create something in that moment. Something to hold on to. A list. He told me to write down these affirmations, but they're not like personal affirmations. They're just general affirmations about me and my family. It's like that legal pad type paper where it's yellow with blue lines. Verbatim, it says, granddad lives on in me and my memory. Grandma is a tough cookie. Mama is a second generation tough cookie. I have support from family where mom and grandma are safe. Crying is healthy. Having strong feelings and he are healthy. Feeling despair and helplessness is also healthy. Be sure to call grandmother and mom and dad and little sister. So I kept this in my wallet this whole time. Like when I see like the sliver of the yellow paper in my wallet, I like I don't even need to pick it up. Like I know what it says. I, I see it and I'm like, okay, yes, I'm okay. At that time, I knew something was missing from my life, but I didn't know what it was. Ever since her grandpa died, she hadn't opened a single sketchbook. She hadn't put paintbrush to paper, hadn't doodled in a margin. Art was one of the main things that she and her grandpa bonded over. And when she lost him, she lost her partner, her champion. 
her chief. This feeling that she talks about, like something was missing, that was art. Walking through a hallway, peeking through a doorway, just waiting for her to turn around and notice it. I neglected this side of me for so long. I didn't really put my 100% into it, so I should probably start and see where it can take me and what I can do with it. My grandpa wasn't the kind of guy that liked to be in the spotlight. It'd be, it's, so, it's really cool to think like he was, he never really wanted to be famous, but I'm kind of bringing him along my journey. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be famous or anything, but like whatever, whatever like positive thing that's happening to me, I also want him to kind of experience it as well. Let's be real. She's deaf going to be famous. You can learn more about Emin on her Instagram. That's at Emin John with two A's. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Them I Am. I'm Misha Youssef. This episode of Tell Them I Am was sound designed by Mary Knopf and written by Mary Knopf, Arwen Nix, and me. Mary Knopf is my producer, and don't tell James Kim, but she thinks he has really good taste in music. Arwen Nix is the podcast boss here at KBCC. She's also our editor. Valentina Rivera and Sean Corey Campbell are our engineers. Our tile art is by our talented designer, Stephanie Kraft. Our beautiful music is by David Leinard. You can find incredible illustrations of all of our guests as the episode released. And guess who we're thanking for those? Emin Ahmed. You should really see them. Just go to kbcc.org slash tell them or follow me or Emin on Instagram. Find me at Misha Youssef. We'll be back next week with another story. Apno ka sahara.